This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Robert Gold, welcome to Better Reading. Hi, Cheryl. Love to see you. So, Robert is an author from North Yorkshire. I was going to say a debut author, but I don't know if you could say that because of your relationship with James Patterson. I I like to think of myself as a debut author. It's my first full-length novel. And hey, look, the first um, thing that I've uh, written on my own, I've had to go gone solo, as it were. But yeah, a few years back, I did write three short, short books, the Bookshot series, and I wrote three of those as a co-author with James Patterson. All right. So I think we'll just have uh, like a pseudo debut author. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Robert's from Yorkshire. He began his career interning at CNN in Washington, D.C., before becoming a book buyer and working in sales for a publishing company. In 2016, as we just said, Gold co-authored three titles with James Patterson's short fiction bookshot series. Uh, he's here today to talk about uh, his new book, 12 Secrets, about a true crime journalist whose brother was brutally murdered years ago and what happens when there is another murder with links to his brother's case. Now, a couple of things there. We have a little bit in common. So did you work as a book buyer? I did too. I did. I did work as a book buyer. Uh, it's a great way into books. I sort of stumbled into it. I didn't think, oh, I have to do that. It wasn't something that I set out to do. I'd worked in supply chain. And then ended up working in books supply chain and then became a book buyer. Uh, and it was a great experience. Um, one of the first authors I bought was Harlan Coburn. Oh, um, wow. Um, which was super exciting. And I remember I remember, I was buying for like a nationwide train in the UK, owned by then owned by Walmart, the big US company. Uh, and it was super exciting because people were suddenly in the UK, they discovered that you could sell books through uh, through supermarkets, uh, it's a little bike, little bike suddenly discovering big W sell books, um, and so it was a great experience, and um, I got to meet some great authors as well. So, tell me about how you came to writing. Was it you know you thought when you were very young that maybe you wanted to be a writer? Were you a great reader? How did you come to it? I yeah, if I, if, you, if when I was a kid, if you'd have asked me what I wanted to do from a fairly youngish age, I'm talking ten, eleven, I guess I would have said, yeah, I want to be a writer. And then I think then it quite quickly dawned on me that um, just being a writer was a pretty hard, harsh route to go. You couldn't just magically become a writer overnight because I think once you get into your teenage years, you sort of realise, oh, well, I've got to pay the bills. I've got to be, at least be able to put food on the table. Um, and so I, I always wanted to be a writer. I couldn't say that I was like, you know, madly in love with books. And, you know, I, I liked books. I liked books at school. I loved English at school. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't like reading seven books a week or anything like that. But I thought I wanted to be a writer. Um, I loved the theatre, actually. And initially, I wanted to be a playwright. And, and, and that was sort of a niche career within a niche career. 
Equally low pay, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Equally low pay. There's not many Arthur Millers. And so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be a playwright. And in the end, then I gradually thought, okay, um, I'd like to be a journalist. And I thought well, that would be a way in, a great experience being a journalist. And then maybe one day that would lead on to me writing something, something more full length, if you like. And that, so that was my aim. Um, it never quite happened that way, but that's certainly what I set out to do, if you like. And as a young person, were you reading James Patterson? Was he um, no, he wasn't. Probably, no, I remember no. his early books, but no. Um, no, it's funny enough, I didn't read, um, I didn't read crime thriller, just jumping forward, I didn't read crime thriller until I went to work for what was then Random House, um, which would have been 20 years ago nearly now. And I never really read crime thriller. I read sort of like Agatha Christie, and I love Agatha Christie still now, love Agatha Christie, but I hadn't read like modern day crime thriller. Prior to starting my job, uh, my new boss sent me a selection of books, one of which was Kiss Cut by Karen Slaughter. Mm. And at its time, it was, it was very visceral, but it was, Karen was almost the first to sort of do this. And I can remember now, I can remember reading it literally in like 48 hours and just being blown away by this book. And then I went to work for Random House. And the reason they'd sent me the book was because they really wanted to get a step forward in Karen's career. And hey, I was lucky enough to then be involved with that, to work with Karen over the next five, six, seven books and had some great success with her. But that really stuck with me and that book stuck with me. And Karen said many a time, she said, you've got to sit down one day and write a book. It took me nearly 20 years from her saying that. Um, but again, amazing to have somebody encouraging, encouraging you to do that. And so that was my first real engagement with real visceral crime. Mm, gosh, wow. That's, um, were you in editorial then? No, it wasn't. No, I was in sales. I went in sales. I went as an account oh, manager. Okay. Um, but the way the way our company is set up, Penguin Random House, we have a dedicated sales team to each each publishing house, if you like, has its own dedicated sales team. And so I was the the sales director ultimately that worked with our more commercial division that published. Hey, we used to publish John Grisham. We published James Patterson. We published Karen, Kathy Wright. And it was a great, a great learning, if you like. And you would look at those authors, and I would look at those authors and think, "Wow, one day I would love to do something like that." Um, but you have, as a as an author and as a as a debut author, you have to sit down and make the time. You've got to have the commitment to think, "Okay, I'm right. I'm going to do it." People have asked me just in the short space now, leading up to publication, you know, how do you find the time? And I always said to people, "You have to enjoy it. You have to enjoy the story you're telling. You've got to be engaged with it." I think. If you are not enjoying it, and the reader is certainly not going to enjoy it. And I think, therefore, you have to think, okay, I'm going to give up my weekends. I gave my weekends up for basically a year to write 12 Secrets. Uh, every weekend, I would sit down at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, and I'd finish at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night. Um, but as long as you're enjoying it, then it's like, okay, that's, that's in a way, it's what you signed up for, and I, I love doing it. But, yeah, it's quite a commitment when you've got a job going along at the same well, time. It is quite a commitment. And and usually first authors have two jobs going. Um, I spoke to Lee Child, who you will know because you publish him, mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago when pre-COVID when we were travelling and he was um, in the Penguin Random House City office in Sydney. And he, t I don't know how many books he's written, but there's what, over 20 for sure. Yeah, yep. 25, something like that. Yeah, and he told me, he said it never, every time he sits down to write the next book, it hasn't gotten any easier. 
it's still as difficult <laughs> as writing the first, you know, getting started and starting to write. He said, you know, he's learned a lot more, but that initial thing of sitting down and starting to write is as difficult as the first book. And I really appreciate that because it does mean that, you know, it's kind of a dedication to storytelling. I always imagine the great the great literary writers. I always think Ian McEwan must sit down and it just comes out and it's amazing. And um, But I think for the vast majority of writers, oh, my goodness, yeah, it's, you have to sit down. And, it, and it's hard, hard work, enjoyable, but definitely hard work. Back to when I would when I did the the short books with James Patterson, and we'd gone through a lot of plotting and outline, and then I was sort of working on a book on the actual book, and a piece of advice an editor gave me, which has stayed with me ever since, which was just get something down, get something down, and this stuck with me when I wrote Twelve Secrets. It was just like, make sure, just get a draft, get your first draft done. Then you've got something to work with. You can go back and look at it again and rework it. And that piece of advice is something that I really carry carry forward. I've just, I'm just about to submit my second novel, my follow-up novel. Um, and that run through again throughout was like, okay, I need to get the first draft down because it is hard. It's like, okay, mm. I'm going to get down 50, 60, 70, 80,000 words and you've got to get those down. And then you can go back and start thinking, okay, which bits work and which bits don't work. You've got to be quite honest with yourself. You think, oh, mm-hmm. that 20,000 words, I'm going to take those out and throw those away. And that's like, oh, a little bit heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a great, I, it's my best piece of advice to anybody is just keep going, mm-hmm. get something down. Don't look back. On the first draft, don't look back, just keep going. Mm. Um, I spoke to, I was lucky enough to go see um, Isabella Orlande here. I went to see her um, because she lives in San Francisco, which is where I am at the moment. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, it's a wonderful podcast, actually, if you want to listen to it. But she said to me, you know, it's a job. She just at the first, you know, first week of January, she just sits down in her office. She writes from nine to six and that's what she does. You know, that's work. I mean, she's lucky enough that that's her only job, but it wasn't that. She started off as a journalist as well, actually. Okay. Um, but I really appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that, you know, people, because uh, there is, um, in you know, if years gone by, there was kind of like, a, oh, you know, how, how lovely to sit there and write, how lovely to sell flowers, how lovely to, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but it's not that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, you have, it's a dedication, definitely, yeah. Definitely. An enjoyable one, but you have to be dedicated. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you just briefly about genre and gender. Because mm-hmm. I've had a little bit of feedback with Better Reading. Some people have been emailing me this week saying that why do I favour female authors, which I actually I don't. And, and it, was a, it was a jolt because I didn't realise that that was what I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. But if I do mm-hmm. go back and have a look, it is what I was doing. It's just the nature of what we're reading and what we're talking about, right? And this fellow said to me, you know, I like to read uh, books written by men. And I thought, oh, wow, I have never thought about that. Do you think about gender? No. Uh, in terms of my reading, no, I can't imagine I ever would. Yeah. Um, working in the publishing industry, um, again, in terms of what we acquire, would we ever yeah. think about gender? No. I bet if we, if I went through our list, though, I would think that probably, particularly in certain areas, there would be a disproportionate amount of female writers. Either one, that's because of what's good and that's what we acquire, or two, Maybe there are just more women writing in certain areas. Um, mm. Maybe there are more women writing crime thriller or whatever. 
and therefore, if that's the case, then there's going to be there's going to be more books buying, and maybe and maybe the readership skews too. I would again, I don't know, but I would have thought that maybe there's a higher percentage of women reading, and maybe therefore you you find that you're going to get more female writers that appeal to them as well. So. Mm. I don't think we, we as a publisher, would never, we would hopefully, I think we always just look for great books. Mm. Um, but no, I would never, I don't think I'd ever think, oh, I'm going to read that. It's male or female. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that. I, I'm going to ask you something based on your sales experience now. Would you say, and I'm not sure how well you know, let's say the Australian market, but even the UK, mm-hmm. since Jane Harper in Australia, and do you know her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, indeed, the drawing. So since Jane Harper, I would say, and I don't have any stats around this, right, so gut feel and feel from my community, that female crime writing has gone through the roof. Female crime mm-hmm. storytelling has increased in popularity and people are reading more mm-hmm. of it. I, I would be tempted to agree. And I think, hey, look, may, I think also yeah. particularly the psychological crime and actually may, maybe women writers are better at the psychological crime and the understanding of human nature um, and really getting into a slightly, you know, in some ways, darker places. Um, and so I would say yes to that. And then I think a number of um, some of our great female commercial writers is a um, that we publish at Penguin Rouse, Lisa Jewell, who you will know a little bit in Australia. Who, oh, we do. Um, and originally was a great women's fiction writer and now is writing incredibly successful, um, quite dark, dark thrillers, um, psychological thrillers. And so she's sort of progressed into, into a different space, but has become a hugely successful. And a number of female writers have followed a, a similar pattern. So I think, yeah, there is a, there's clearly at this moment in time, there is a a very distinct market of people who are going out and buying those books. And as I say, somebody like Lisa, I think is a fantastic writer in her own right, be it as what we, in the old days, we'd have called commercial women's fiction, um, but has now progressed to writing, as I say, into crime thriller space. I would say, you know, we might have to get out our friend Gavin onto this because he might have some data <laughs> and stats. But I would say that there's been a flip. I think it was a male-dominated area for a while, mm-hmm. and I think there's been a flip. So it's been male-dominated in terms of writing and storytelling. This is the crime fiction genre. And now we're seeing a lot more females in that space. And you think if you go by, hey, back to when I first went into publishing into Random House and I, I mentioned Karen Slaughter, I think in a way, Karen Slaughter and just sort of before her, Kathy Reichs and uh, Patricia Cornwall. And I think they came along and they almost made it acceptable for women to write, you know, quite graphic, violent thrillers. Um, and and they maybe they led that change. I would imagine probably going back before that, there was less women writing in that space and it was more established male space and probably slightly different thrillers, like maybe more procedural um, or the Grishams of the world by the legal approach and whatever. But yeah, I think there has been over time, it's become that women, I would imagine, have become much more the dominant dominant space in in, in that area. Mm. Um, you look at something like Val McDermott, I mean, amazing, amazing writer over a amazing. long period of time. So yeah, readers may be engaged in a slightly different way now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So let's talk about your book. Um, So is Ben Harper... (laughs) Is he, is that an ode to Ben Harper, the musician? Or that's just a name. <laughs> oh, no, I wondered whether no, you're a fan. <laughs> no, no, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Ben oh, Harper. Okay. Turns out because I am. It turns out there's other Ben Harpers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, right. No, purely purely made up name. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when you decided to write. I want to talk about the influence of your role and the fact that your career was always dipping in and dipping out to writing. Did you think about genre? Did you think because you knew so much in terms of marketing and in terms of sales, how do you think that affects your writing? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I do, I think that, did I set out to do, I didn't, so somebody like Lee Child will talk mm. about that he set out to create so very much mm. and, hey, my goodness, couldn't have done it more brilliantly. Did I set, I don't think I did. So, Going back to the journalism, I obviously I wanted to be a journalist and I'd ended up as a, my first job, real job, if you like, was as an intern for CNN in Washington, D.C. And I loved it, even though it was only for like a one year period. It was a brilliant experience. What? Wow. Now, and, and wow yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. It was a wow experience. Yeah. It was amazing. And it was sort of just before the big digitalization of media. So it was like everything was on tapes and rushing mm-hmm. around with tapes. And it was just super exciting. And then I hey, ended up doing other things, ended up ultimately going into retail and then into publishing. And But I think it probably stayed with me as something, oh, that, you know, that journalism thing. I always, you know, I just was always that hugely aware of what journalists did. And I think then, so in a way, the idea of having a journalist as my lead character, I would imagine related to that. So that in a funny way was probably my, one of my starting points. And then... Uh, did I set out to create something that I would... No, I think, um, I, was, I think I'd had the experience with James Patterson writing the, the three shorts. And one of the things he said to me was, he talks about books being an entertainment. And hey, James Patterson is in the entertainment business. He is amazing. Nobody, he tells incredible stories. And so I sort of moving on from him, is like, okay, I'm, I wanted to create an entertainment so I think if anybody asked me, okay, what did I want my book to achieve? I wanted it to be entertaining. So in a way, did, does that mean it sort of links to sales and marketing? You could argue that. But really, I'm thinking about the reader. I, I want it to be an entertaining read, a page-turning Everybody talks about, oh, let's create a page-turning read. That's what I, I set out to do. But without a formula of just, I guess, as a reader, and the beauty of being in publishing for so long is you read so much, and I read so many books over that 20-year period. And so in a way, I created what I thought I would enjoy and what I hoped other readers might enjoy. So do I think if I look at it now, was I maybe influenced a little bit in terms of sales and marketing? Maybe. 
but ultimately I just wanted to create something that was entertaining, entertaining characters and back to my love of Agatha Christie. There's a twist and turns the whole way through. So you could look at your career. I mean, you've reached, and I don't know if we've made this clear, but Robert works for um, Penguin Random House as a sales director, but you're published by Hashet, right? So you've, you you went to another publisher and we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but what I want to talk about is some would say that you have reached you know, a pinnacle in your career being a sales director of one of the biggest publishing houses in the world or the biggest, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then for you, you've got a parallel career, right? And you've now written a book. I'm just wondering in terms of achievement, what are you most proud of? And, okay, (laughs) that'll be a difficult one to answer, but it is that they are parallel careers. Strangely enough, I mean, um, a couple of people have asked me at work and, Hey, look, and, and have I enjoyed my time at Penguin Random House? Yes. Of course. I guess like anybody a little bit, though, you it's your job, and I've been fortunate in that I've progressed through the company, but you come in each day and you do the job. And I think, you know, I've gradually moved to different roles by doing the job that I was paid to do. Writing is more of a, I guess it, you'd have to say a passion. Okay, I go back to when I was a kid, it's what I wanted to do. It always seemed... Not unattainable, but like, okay, that was a, a big thing. And I guess in publishing, I was just doing the job the next day, the next day, the next day. To get a book published still now was like the most exciting thing. When I did the day that I did the deal with Hachette, it was still like the most exciting thing. And yeah, but it feels like a real achievement on it because it stands alone, if you like, I think, because that makes sense. It's like a, here's like a real achievement that stands in its own right. So does it feel as more of achievement than my job? Yeah, I think it probably does. Maybe, I hope my boss isn't listening. But in terms of, yeah. Your colleagues, maybe. How, <laughs> yeah, my colleagues, maybe. But as a reward, it's, it is more rewarding. Yeah, definitely, definitely more rewarding getting a book published. Can you see yourself writing full time? Um, hey, it's in a way, that's the dream. Um, and people who dream of that. It would be amazing, and I conceived I've, I've conceived as a series of books, um, as a whole number of stories that will continue on. And the great thing about Ben, the lead character, being an investigative journalist, is he can get drawn into lots of stories, old stories, new stories, and so there's lots of ways that he can get drawn in. Um, would I love to do that? Yes. Hey, but the flip side is, as I say, I've worked in publishing so long, I know how difficult that is, and. It's not easy to be an author on a full-time basis and you've got to pay the bills still and everything else that comes with that. Um, so a little bit, I'm like, hey, amazing, I've got a book publishing and I'm going, to, I'm going to enjoy that. I've written the second one almost. And therefore, okay, that's a great experience. And I've had that experience. And if, that, if that's the end of it, then so be it. I'd love to continue, but I'm equally very realistic about how tough it is in the world of publishing as well. So people ask me very, very often, um, am I a writer? Oh, are you ever going to write it? Well, I'm not because I've never had that dream and I'm not a writer. However, one of the things, one of the reasons why I think I wouldn't do it as well, taking, you know, that aside that I can't write, Mm -hmm. um, but let's say I could, uh, there would be an expectation, right, because of my career and because of what I do, that it should be the best book ever, right? So for you to have finish that manuscript. I mean, how nerve-wracking was that to start giving it to people to read? Um, because I think in your case it's a double whammy, you know. It, in a way, it, it would have been terrible if it was a dud, right? 
So how did you feel Definitely. about that? Um, so it is, you, you are, and you're, I think it applies to, I would imagine it applies to all, or the vast, vast majority of writers. It is what people say. It's like, it's such a, such a personal thing when you're, when you're doing it. And also it only lives, you know, it lived with me for more than, more than a year that I was writing it. And so it only, and it only lives with you. I didn't really tell anybody that I was writing it. The, an editor at, at Random House had said to me after the Pattersons, they said, oh, you should write a novel. So I thought, oh, okay, then I'll write a novel. I'd come up with the, funny, the first thing I came up with was a title. I'd come up with a title, 12 Secrets. I'd floated that with a couple of colleagues around the industry. I said, oh, I'd thought about writing a book called 12 Secrets. What do you think? And they were like, oh, that's a great idea. And they were like, off you go and write it then now. And then, of course, then you sit down and write it. I never really, as I said, I never really said I was doing it, but it lives with you for that whole period of time. And then, then that moment comes that then you have to share it. I, I liken it a little bit to giving your homework in at school, where suddenly you're like, it's going to be, literally feels like it's been judged by somebody. I only. Um, I would think it was worse, Rob. Sorry for interrupting. I think it's yeah, worse yeah, no. because of who you are at the moment. So you go, again, and you even for me, you learn a lot about the stage of publishing during this experience. And so I, I shared it with only one person before I sent it to agents. So I shared it to one editor at, at Penguin Random House, said, what do you think? Um, and then the way I think you sort of build, you build your confidence each step. Oh. And so she said to me, she's incredibly honest. She said to me, it's a great story. She's, what should I call it agent ready? And she said, you need, you can ready to submit to agents, but with the expectation that the agent will then want to do a considerable amount of work with you. I was like, hey, great, yeah. amazing. I'll give that a go. Yeah. So then the next stage is then submitting it to your agents. And then you wait to hear back from the agents. And then I fantastically, my agent, she was super positive. A woman called Juliet Mushens literally came back to me overnight, said, I, I love the idea, I love the characters, love the plot. And, and two weeks later, I sort of signed up with her. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. This is like, oh, how exciting. And but it's then, just another uh, step, isn't it, getting it? It's another step. And yeah. I went into her office then and she said, oh, you know, in the usual way, they tell you how much they love you. And then she says, oh, but just sit down and I'll write, give you a few notes. Literally there, I wrote down four pages of notes straight off the bat. I think that, okay, you need to think about this, you need to think about this. And I thought, oh, okay, go away and do that. Went back when I did the first set of changes, come back with a whole other changes after that. I was like, wow, okay. But you're learning, you're learning along the way, and it reinforces a little bit as you go in terms of, okay, the, the, the more positivity that she was positive about is going in the right direction. Then, then when you set it to publishing houses, then it's a whole other thing because you really are putting yourself out there. And um, although it was submitted under my pen name, people knew, people knew who it was, they knew it was me. Um, and the exciting thing was we got a preempt on the very first morning that went out to for submission. So the first morning it went out there, um, we got an offer, not from the ultimate publisher. And then at that point, you think, okay, people really do like it. However, just now, a week away from publication, having it going to real readers, I still now think, okay, well, when it goes to real readers, what will the response be? And so, yeah, every step of the way, you're, you're putting yourself out there and you're unsure without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and your colleagues, you know, people that you've worked with for 20 years. Oh, that meant just like, <laughs> that's making me nervous and, and, and for you. <laughs> and quite a few of them said, oh, can I, can I read it? I've let the odd one read it. But also, 
it's weird with colleagues, especially in publishing, because it's like, well, I don't want them to tell me that they liked it if they didn't. I want them to be quite honest with me. You know, not ev- I reckon, hey, not everybody's going to like your book. Some people will, some people won't. Um, that's the way of any book. So it is weird again with colleagues. The brilliant thing was my boss. So he did read, I gave him a proof copy and he did read it. And he came back to me like the week later saying, Rob, I loved it. And, and that was like a real endorsement. He's the, he's the boss of Penguin Random House. So that was a fantastic feeling when he said that. Um, and he was quite genuine. He said, it is a page turner. It's, it, uh, he couldn't have been more positive. So that was, that was a great moment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got a mutual friend, Gavin, um, who we're going to mention. Did you give it to him to read? I did give it to Gavin to read. Gavin is a, is a good friend of mine. So I gave it to Gavin probably more as a friend than, than that happens to be a colleague in the publishing industry. So I gave it to him before anybody in the UK had really read it. I gave him it in digital format. So it was long months before there were any physical proofs. As again, somebody that I respected his view that he read so many books similar to me. He's been in, in publishing 20 years plus and had read so many books. And uh, he read it over... The, not this Christmas gone, the previous Christmas. Again, he he messaged me like halfway through saying, oh my God, it's brilliant. And again, that endorsement at that moment was amazing to get mm-hmm. somebody who you trust to suddenly come back and say that they loved it. That was a, yeah, it's a great moment as well. And then he gave me feedback. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that gave surprises me. me. Then. Did he give you notes? <laughs> yeah. Wow. He gave me notes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm surprised about that. I don't know why, but I am. Um, so one of the questions that I would ask is very often authors that work in publishing houses don't get published by their the house that they work in. Mm-hmm. Why would that be? And so yeah, so that was that was it. So I my boss my boss is the CEO in, in the UK and he again obviously he'd known that I'd done the Patterson's shorts. And then I was ultimately wanted to write a novel. So I was very honest with him up front. And then when I got my agent, I said, oh, I've signed it with Juliet. This is exciting. And then we had the conversation then. And we both agreed it would have been very strange uh, if we ended with a sales team and all the sales team that ultimately report to me that was selling my book. And so from the very start, we agreed that we would not submit it to Penguin Random House, um, which in one way for me is a shame. Obviously, I think they're a great publishing company, but the flip side was it was separated out. So it was never sent to them. It was never shown to them. And from day one, I said to Julia, okay, I'm delighted to have signed up with you, but you need to know you can't sell it to Penguin Random House. It can only be sold elsewhere. And I think we, we do publish a handful of people within our own business, but because I'm part of the leadership team, I think it would have been just too difficult and it would have put an expectation on people. And I think, I'll be honest, I would have found it uncomfortable as well. And I wouldn't want to be people thinking, oh, they had to prioritize my book over all the other books that we published. So I think it was a lot simpler that it went somewhere else. And and equally, you know, I couldn't have been more grateful to Hachette that we're willing to take the chance on somebody that's in the leadership team of another publishing company. And they were like, Kate, we love the book. We don't care about anything else. So in that sense, that was brilliant. Yeah, it's terrific. Okay, I think we'll end on that note. Robert Gold, thank you so much for your time. Enjoyed our chat very much. Thanks, Joe. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. 
or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.